Oh, hello there. It's you, isn't it? Come in, come in. We're excited to have you. Pull up, pull up right here by the fire. It's crackling. It's nice and warm. Today is a little bit different. This is a special episode and very different than most of our usual episodes. You see, today is a Christmas holiday special from Words and Whiskey. I wish I had a crackle, fire. Crackle, 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 crackle. We're drinking. We're not talking about what we're drinking. We're just going to get into the meat of it. And it's going to be fun. Imagine that we're sipping the most intricate, unique, wonderful, cool holiday cocktails that you can imagine. They're warm. They're spicy. They're, they're creamy. But nummy. We're, they're nummy. Nummy. We've got nummy cocktails. That's it. That's the cocktail That's co- Cocktail talk. Cocktail cock. Cocktail talk? Yeah. Uh, beyond that, just so you know, we are going to be talking about a couple of other things. But as we go, like a Christmas episode, you won't know until it happens. So you'll catch those flags as they occur. Otherwise, you can seek them out directly in the description below with timestamps. So we'll see you there and then. PJ, we are crossing ourselves on the brink of, wow, how dare you interrupt me (laughs) with your name? (laughs) With my name, actually, (laughs) not your name. (laughs) Uh, We are on the, should we drink? Oh, God, I, yeah, cheers. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. We're going to take another shot while we're going into this. We did just record a very special patron exclusive little episode about a piece of fiction that I wrote back in 2020. Total, um, total nonfiction. It, 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 it non-fiction. is a word-for-word word recounting of what he went through. Yes, with the pigeons in the walls. So we've often talked about that story, that short story that I had written so long ago, the experience of the pigeons in the walls, some of the New York stuff. You can go listen to that. But today we are doing a very special Christmas episode. And I wanted to start with with like something that was a little bit different. I'm calling this the light light bringer segment pj we spend a lot of time focusing on light bringer from like a complex angle we try to talk about things like let's talk about how it relates to the odyssey let's talk about how like the impact of these different characters let's talk about the philosophical and the historical angle of these things pj i want to speculate like the worst redditor today i want to have <laughs> the best time as the worst redditor that you could imagine that's uh, what we're doing today i at one once upon a time, I was subscribed to the Red Rising subreddit, and then mm-hmm. then Lightbringer came out, and couldn't do that anymore for the several months leading up to me actually being able to read it. So I have not been privy to what goes on in that. I suppose I suppose I could join again, huh? Yeah, totally. I, t- I could for another like year and a half, probably yeah, for a little while. But yeah, I haven't. I don't I don't really I don't really go on Reddit that often anymore. I don't really go on there. much of anything yeah. anymore. <laughs> Let's be real. Yeah, Twitter blew up and now I'm like I check threads like once every other day, which is cool. Don't have I threads. Like that. It's nice. I know. Don't have blue sky. Mm-hmm. I I lurk on our own Discord. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's that's fair. I do too sometimes. 
it's been it's been a really busy couple of months, which has led to, you know, kind of, I would say, some like reclusiveness at the very least for myself. But. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to have kind of these like sort of fun conversations around Lightbringer. Part of the reason that this Christmas special is happening is because we were sponsored by Disney to do it and we were given a budget of $100. And so today we pulled together the $100 episode sponsored by Disney. Thank you, Daddy Disney. Uh, Thank you, th- Daddy Walt. I think but- every time we say that they take away $10, uh, we cannot refer yes, to we're them already as Daddy. Down. That's three times, so we're down to seventy dollars for this episode. It's already so few dollars, PJ. We need to maintain the dollars. And I can go out for dinner without a drink and no tip, <laughs> and barely tipping. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right. Now, I I just wanted to, because of the nature of Christmas and it being difficult to schedule people, of course, during the holidays for guest episodes and things like that, that we were trying to pull off, we ran into a couple of complications. It happens. We totally get it. We wanted to do something that was a little bit special and warm and fireside-y. So we're having this conversation. Some of these questions um, were sourced from our dear friends, both within the Discord and and like that I've been hanging on to for a while from like Discord email, some Twitter conversations, some Instagram conversations. And some from our friends that we call what the Jade Jade Children. The Jade Children, called? yeah, I think is the name the of Jade our, Children. Our, our group text with them. Yeah, yeah. So the Jade Children, of course, are composed of Ben and Aaron and Thomas. So you heard them last week, of course, in our wrap up episode. But we just want to talk about some fun things about Red Rising because we always take it seriously. Like we do have fun, but we take it pretty seriously. So spoilers for the entirety of Red Rising. As we go through this section here, you can check in the timestamps down below when we stop talking if you want to listen to the other parts of the episode. So we're going to put time to ta- start off. You have I have to get you timestamps now. We're going to do claps. okay? <laughs> and we'll take timestamps from the claps. There are only three parts to this episode. There are. All we right. can do Perfect. it. We can do it. Let's do it. Cool. OK. All right. Check the so, show notes where Crossland will put ostensibly time timestamps on when you can skip to to avoid the spoilers i promise <laughs> i promise i promise so <laughs> the first question here pj is whose head should be a volleyball next cicero's horatia or palaces <clears throat> bob was made into a volleyball ajax was made into a volleyball recently i don't think those count as volleyballs if they're not bounced around <laughs> oh, no if, the, oh, if that's no. the case pitch or and i don't think that counts all right yeah i mean okay but here's here's the question so what is it so the potential Daxo's energy the volleyball right? daxo is the volleyball but like the potential energy of fictioner is volleyball more <laughs> you know <laughs> so is ajax <laughs> yeah they have the potential energy of a volleyball right am i right <sighs> okay okay give, give me this one credit <laughs> i'll i'll give it to you all right all right so who should be made a volleyball next i think the most impact would be cicero because i think mm. he i think he's the one person on that side of the of the story that readers would actually feel a pang of sadness about you could potentially uh, potentially yeah. more than the others more than more than almost anyone else i think yeah i think so 
So I my if it was one of those three, I think I'd go with Cicero. Yeah, I I think I vote for Palace just because I think it would be funny. <laughs> but I do agree with you on Cicero, right? Like I I think that Cicero is the only character that is has any sort of commendable traits or nature to him in kind of a rokish way, you know, where obviously he's on the wrong side. And so like it, it, it kind of feels bad, but at the same time you can understand why it would happen. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think to your point, he is probably the only quote, good guy quote left on, on that side of the war <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Palace is awful though. And her slack jawed face bouncing around a bunch of people dancing you know like imagine the ewok celebration again <laughs> calling out christmas specials here but like, imagine like everyone singing what is it yub nub they're singing yub nub they're chanting mm-hmm. they're bouncing around that palace volleyball head we're all cheering we're yeah. having a good time flakes of her skull are falling off her teeth are popping out as they're stabbed by spears on accident you know horatio oh, vis- i started like... visceral i'm sorry uh so Palace would be satisfying. Her, uh, Cicero would be more horrifying for the readers. Mm-hmm. Horatia just kind of feels neutral. Yeah, she's she's like we're playing volleyball with a basketball, but like we can still do it. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I was going Perfect. for. <laughs> <laughs> If, if I didn't say that this tone, this episode was going to have a different tone, I don't know why you didn't believe me. Because already, I mean, we didn't. The intent is to be off the rails. We didn't give a word to the wise Crossland. PJ, we gave a fireside chat instead. Yeah, yeah, nice exactly. warm, crackly fireside chat. Crackle, 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 crackle. <laughs> All right. So another question here, especially pertinent, Christmas to the holiday season in general. Which Santa Telemannus would you choose for lap sitting? Thraxa, Cavax, or Niobe? Are they sitting on my lap or am I sitting on their lap? Ooh, important question. You are sitting on their lap. Absolutely. I would love to hear Cavax. both answers, though. Yeah. 100% Cavax. I, I want, Cavax? I want the, the big, strong, burly man to listen to what i want for christmas okay it just feels it feels fatherly it feels loving and protective not that thraxa or niobe would not come across that way like they would of course but you know I, i i i want the beard i want obviously sophocles is going to be around just feels feels speaking of did you get your postcard by the way i did i did yesterday i sent a nice i sent a message to nice. Hallerston. cool i've not gotten it yet mostly because i haven't checked the mail today i'm sure it's there but yeah mm-hmm. i i shared your address i'm so sorry it's okay i figured <laughs> yeah that is part of the conversation that i had by that elusive group yeah mm-hmm. yeah no i similarly i i think that like cavax is the natural answer here so i want to i want to go two different directions Real quick. So this was originally posed by Aaron, of course, as we were talking about this. And I think Cavax is just the natural answer. Sitting on your lap, though. Thraxa. Where are you going? Yeah, I don't, ha- I don't have a good reason for Thraxa. I will give Thomas credit here. I think it was Thomas who shared. No, it was Ben, wasn't it? Was it was Ben. <laughs> shared, 
Ben shared the meme of the the woman shattering a watermelon with her thighs alone, and it's like, yeah, that that is Thraxa. You're totally correct. Yeah, yeah, good, good work, good work. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking the reversal, Niobe, I'm so sorry, but the two of you birthed a monster, and <laughs> I would like her on my lap, please. Thank you. Yeah, with the context of the watermelon video, I. I no longer feel like I have to say that I don't know why Thraxa <laughs> was my answer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I totally get it. That's so good. That's so good. I do want to pose. I want to pose the question, and I'm going to use only dead characters here. We're going to call it the Santa Telemannuses and Friends, but I'm going to ask the same question with our, our dead friends here. Your options are... Pax, the original Pax, Alexander, or Daxo? I feel like Pax fits uh, fits the characterization a little bit better than Daxo does. And mm-hmm. Alexander, I think of as a child for some reason. I know he's not. <laughs> <laughs> he's fully an adult. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. I'm I'm on the Alexander train. I like Pax. I like Daxo. I feel like Alexander would make... The like he'd be like the 300 version of santa and that would be weird but fun in a different way yeah yeah so pj we're continuing to talk through a bunch of ridiculous questions here who's more obnoxious Pa or apple i don't think of apple in like as... a prissy way no, like a yeah, prissy way. Like, I don't think of Apple as know. obnoxious in any way. Like I, I think really I do. Like or I don't. Mm. But I do think of Fa that way because because there's fascinating. There's a there's level some of yeah. commitment, truth to to Apple's being, whereas mm-hmm. Fa is a face, mm-hmm. and and the the jarring sort of juxtaposition of fa speaking as his intellectual self versus as the warlord comes across like i i don't i don't love that in the same way that i really appreciate how the conviction of apollonius is to his core like he is an intellectual warrior and and everything that he presents to himself is true and consistent. Okay. So. I, I dig that as an answer. Interesting. So Apple fully. More obnoxious would be Fa. Oh, more obnoxious would be Fa. So I agree with you for like the opposite reasons. I think that it is because of... Hmm, I think that it is not a problem within Fa's character that he is this way. Right. But I think is it is the type of way that he is about the thing. Does that make sense? Like he he appreciates, he respects, but in like a hoity toity twirl the glass kind of way. Like he is like the guy of whom is gonna sit there and stare at it. I'm I'm recalling a very specific individual from our Santa Rosa wine tasting. Um I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. So that man can't talk more about this. Because he's a public figure. But that man (laughs) reminds me immediately of the same way that I think about Fa, where it's like he is spinning that wine glass, even though it might not be necessary, right, to like do. Like you don't need to read legs on wine. That means nothing. It has nothing to do with anything outside of surface tension of the glass. That's predominantly what you're looking at. 
demanding to buy something that's not on sale from their library. Apple would also do that. I just just, just to be clear, <laughs> Apple would also do that. But yeah, Apple would fair. cut the man's head off when he said no. <laughs> <laughs> which which is a kind of a redeemable factor in this case. But it's it's all of the other traits. It's all of the like sort of it's the snobbishness without the sort of. I don't know, like there, there's a commitment. There's like a vitriol that like Apple brings to it where he's like kind of angry. I, I say vitriol very intentionally because he kind of has like this, this like righteous anger to him that I appreciate versus Fa is great, but he kind of like sits backwards a little bit more into the chair and is a little bit more casual, but is a uppity at the same time. He's also like, I say drinking a beer literally named Boots with the Fur. <laughs> yeah. yeah fa feels like a man it's it feels so dumb to to reduce it to the term phony but like no no no, when, no. You, when you're the whole, playing the whole point like, of this pj is we get to do whatever the fuck we want but this he is, a Christmas is special he's playing with with people's lives both of them are both of them are mm-hmm. are commanding people's lives. And Apollonius has the conviction to also put his life on the line while Fa only pretends to. It's a very Salinger thing. Mm-hmm. To your point. Like phony, it feels straight out of catcher. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we're Love in it. agreement on that one. It's it's also interesting, too, because Fa is like Atlas's man of whom is like the least that way. You know what I mean? Like he is more on in the Apple camp, but like realistic as opposed to verbose and in love with the poetic side of that sort of virtue. Right. Like he's he's the realist to the poet I'd or the romantic if, realist to the romantic. I'd be curious if Atlas, but, if relieved of his duties would follow a similar path of of love for the arts and like what sort of life of leisure atlas would lead given the hmm. opportunity but he's yeah. like his entire existence is wrapped up in in his job whereas fa right. fa has the sort of opportunity to lead this dual life he gets to play yeah, yeah. A little bit more than Atlas does. Right. Fair point. Fair point. I, I think that he wouldn't, he would nowhere near be as indulgent as Apple. Atlas would not be as indulgent as Apple. But, but also, I think that he would lean into the same Fa sort of taste and appreciation. Like, uh, From Atlas. Right. There's no doubt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I would assume a lot of their interests overlap. Yeah. Atlas is the theater kid who got recruited into West Point but then was also brutalized by Guantanamo to turn him into an absolute fucking monster. Like that is, that's Atlas. Mm-hmm. Is, or was. Is or was. Oh, hmm. Mm. Mm. Speculation. All right, PJ, do you have any other kind of quasi-ridiculous things that you want to think about with, with Lightbringer before you move into some like cross-media talk here? There is one question that we missed. And I don't know if it was oh, intentional yeah. or not. Right at the top. Could oh, Athena yeah, and the gals take on Harmony and the Red Hand? So the the daughters of Athena versus mm-hmm. the Red Hand. That's a tough one. This is the most like actual like 
rounded question of mm-hmm. the group? I think yes, because I I really think the red hand benefited from kind of a power vacuum, whereas the daughters of Athena yeah, had to had to sharpen their teeth in active war, active rebellion under yeah under authority and right. authority of of dusk makers. <laughs> Mm-hmm. that which are fucking brutal i think the most brutal goals that we've seen for sure for yeah. sure so i i'd, I'd yeah. say that the daughters have a better track record and more are more well equipped to to take on harmony in the red hand the only edge that i could give the red hand in harmony is the sort of improvisational style that they have like they're willing to do anything to like get the job done. Um, so in a direct confrontation, it would be tough. But as we know and as it stands, I think I would agree with you and I would side with Athena and the gals. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let me remember. Was the Red Hand entirely funded by the syndicate? Or am I conflating no. things? No, it was not entirely funded by the syndicate. Matter of fact, I don't think it was funded by the syndicate at all. Or, I think it was making its own. Connected to an off... off. No, I, I don't think no? it was connected at all. It okay. was entirely a like red-driven, red-centric movement in action. Now, there is a good question around, could it be the Vox Populi that were funding it in the background? I, that's not answered. Which is funded um, by the syndicate. <laughs> which, yes, in turn is funded yeah. by the syndicate, but... You know, that is sort of maybe the residual question that's left there, but I don't think so. I think that it was entirely her own faction that she was okay. managing. So, yeah. Where where do they get their funding? I think they got their funding from being a Sons of Ares faction and like taking over those resources and okay. just stealing them and killing all the people that were involved otherwise. Like, it's just like a it's a leftover rebellious faction that doesn't believe in the rebellion that won out you know okay so the resources are still there the structure is still there they just fragmented that makes sense yeah it's my thought at the very least yeah so yeah and again today's episode is not about it being textual it's just some fucking thoughts perfect pj do either darrow or mustang survive the next book I think one, but not both. I think neither. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think we talked about it a little bit, just a smidge on the last episode. But I, I do think that like the intent, the textual intent right now feels like it's leading to Diomedes being this sort of like inheritor in a way. And I think that it is. I think there like, are a, a lot of inheritors. Well, I know, but like he, Diomedes is the one that's like pushing away the crown and the authority and everything else. So I feel like he is not the red god. The red god is Darrow, but he will be the appointed temporary sort of blending of cultures from the rim to the core and trying to be that leader, a true shepherd Mm -hmm. that can just be revered as a person, as a man, and is more Marcus Aurelius-like than, you know, anyone else. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious where that title goes because i feel like there are a great deal of characters that could be the red god 
I think the most Paps, obvious is Darrow. Lyria, Darrow, right? Severo. Oh, Severo. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Lyria would be the namesake for the next book. No, but she could she could inadvertently be a red god, right? Yeah, I, like, I think it could be left ambiguous and she could contribute to that. But I don't think it'd be pretty wild if she rose from like I took care of Sophocles the little fox to I'm now held in like a court of responsibility. Not mm-hmm. that she's in charge, but maybe she represents reds in a big way. And I think it could I also if you if you really want to get abstract with it transcend the color hierarchy and talk about mars itself Mm. actually a good call yeah i like that too Mm -hmm. Mm. because it is where all the meaning is stored for the story right so and it is the red planet is the red planet or diana god damn it (laughs) we're fucking back folks all right did you hear the off-air confirmation that June died at some point during this war? He died in an iron rain. Maybe, June again is the cook from Red Rising. I do. Yeah. I do. I feel like I remember you and Aaron talking about it, but I don't know if that was on air or off-air, and I don't remember the context. Kind of a bummer, regardless of which way you paint it. That's kind of. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty bad. All right. We're going to have a brief crossover segment here. None of these are like super spoilers for the record. I don't think we'll dive into anything that's crazy spoiler here. But for those of you of whom also read the Greenbone Saga, we had a couple of questions flow in that I, I appreciate and definitely want to talk about. They even kind of came up in a wrap up episode that I think we cut out entirely or maybe it was a devil's cut, something like that. But the first one is Greenbone versus gold. Who wins? Gold. You think so? Yeah. I don't, actually. I think the heightened jade sense is more than a gold can muster. Okay. And again, we're gold, not peerless scarred. It's an important part of this question, my head. That's a very good... Mm -hmm. Fuck. Good point. Fuck you, Thomas, for asking this question the way that you did, but I also am reading into it specifically the way that you wrote it. The way it's written. Yep. You're Mm -hmm. right. General Gold versus Green Bone. Mm -hmm. And Green Bone. Peerless Scarred might be a closer race. ...are well-trained, like, by, by definition. So... These are both fighting styles that last seconds in combat um mm-hmm. so yeah yeah the green bay packers are really <laughs> represented here <laughs> representing himself themselves well they lost rogers this year but they're still holding out oh you know they're, jordan love you know doing his best Fuck love em. love will keep us all together <laughs> uh my in-laws are packers fans so Go back. Hope you're listening to this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we don't. We don't subscribe to that ideology here, but we understand if you agree. So, green bone over gold. We're pro green bone. I think so. I think that you made a really good peerless point. guard. Different issue. Peerless guard. Very different issue. With a peerless guard, what do you think? I where, think... where, like, would you rank a peerless guard against a different green bone? I think a peerless guard. Like Hilo kills a peerless guard, right? 
uh, Hilo in his prime. Okay. Like top top okay. green bone goes head to head with a peerless scarn. Most green bones. Ike wins. Ike versus Aja. Ike doesn't lose. Ike versus Aja. You're saying Ike oh, wins. Oh god! Like when you're getting into the <laughs> high level peer list. Oh fucking do it! I th- like I don't I don't think they can compete. Ooh, like, I, I, I think I, I think I, high level green bones compete about or against general level peer list. Yeah, but I think like your top, you're like your your cream of the crop, cream of the crop compete immediately against some of the top do they have their own weapons like what weapons are we dealing with generally they're they're stylized okay like what does a razor go through i don't think it goes through jade motherfucker i also think absolutely it does here's 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 my differential i do think that jade heightens further than just the gold reflexes because it's supernatural versus the gold reflexes are an extension of natural being okay so like that's my my comparison point between the two that's my more grounded thought so i think that jade warriors would naturally be able to close the distance yeah but their weapons get shredded by the razor potentially all you need with one of those jade daggers all the jade is in the hilt because it's got to be touching you baby so like all they really need is whatever the fuck is cleaved off and then to like punch him in the face a couple of times Maybe. This is why we're playing this game. This yeah. is a Christmas special. This is a Christmas. Okay. This is, this is not we're, something we're, we're digging about in. Otherwise. We're digging in. Yeah. Um, right. I I think that golds with a razor, peerless guard with a razor would be more equipped to take down almost anything, but specifically green bones. And their their weaponry just is not adequate. Okay. Who gives a shit if they've got their hilt? Like they've got all their jade in their jewelry too. Like I can literally channel into your body and fucking murder you. <laughs> like literally. Like, <laughs> I don't even need to hit you with something. I can just. Fucking, that's a good fucking point. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Like fuck a pulse shield. <laughs> that's a really good. Just, that, I hadn't considered that at all. Yeah. I was yeah. considering and just physical combat here. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Golds have big hearts. Big hearts are big targets. <laughs> big hearts explode <laughs> easy. <laughs> oh man. That that flips this on its head for me. Yeah, that mm. a channeling focused green bone. I think takes the cake. I think I still want to draw back to Aja versus Ite. Like use that as a good comparison point. Who do you think wins there? Not Octavia. No, Ite's a better. Uh, Octavia is not a better duelist. That's yeah. true. I, I think Ite would naturally win against Octavia, but Octavia, <laughs> like if we're talking political scheming, Ite still wins. Yeah, and even if I go the other way, <laughs> but Aja, I feel like is a closer match. That's fair. Man, this is bringing up a question. I'm not answering your question yeah. right now, but this is bringing no, something no. up. Fire. Was the accolades for Ajax? of being better than Aja just hot air or like people seem to kind of dismiss that in conversations about how Victra was able to 
Well, we, we were talking about this a little bit last week, we right? Were. Like we that were. was kind of a part of the conversation. So I think I agree with where we came out on that conversation for the most part of like, I think that Ajax was as good, if not better than Aja. However, I think that the reality is, is that even the best soldier can be ambushed and surprised. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the text is kind of trying to make out as a point is not that necessarily like strictly, like we said last week, I think that a fight between Victor and Ajax would be very intense, very close. We know that she's been training and honing herself and that would be a very intense combat. But the surprise angle is like a no brainer that that they win. Right. And 2v1 no-brainer that they win okay yep yeah okay because like comparatively if we think about if ajax and aja are even being compared we call them one-to-one -one, right it took cassius darrow mustang and severo to take down aja mm -hmm. right so it took all of them fighting losing limb a literal revive <laughs> in the moment of combat to like take down Aja. So I think to a similar degree, if we extract that over time, 2v1 isn't that outrageous given the circumstances because they were teens, well, not teens, but they're like 20 somethings versus like expert crazy level badass. So I guess it, that that brings in the question of when are you in your prime in this universe? Because... I think it's in that. I feel like my early twenties, which I is was like probably thirty in my to prime. sixty. I would agree. <laughs> I would. I'd actually say mid twenties, uh, somewhere between pre COVID. We'll just put it there. <laughs> <laughs> Before I broke my ankles twice, mm -hmm. but they live a lot yeah. longer. Right, right. So, like, I'm, I'm like talking like mid twenties to late thirties. So, I feel like Darrow is still. Despite like saying that he's slowing down, which I think is weird because of the age thing, I feel like he should still be in his prime or like okay. near prime because Aja was in her fucking 60s, 50s, late 50s and was still kicking ass. Lauren was so 112 or something. Yeah, 112. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I I think that that prime because of the age range extends a little bit. So okay. all this to say, given that analysis of Ajax and Aja, as we're comparing them, I'd or Aja. Hmm. I think I'd I think I'd give it to Aja. I think so too, actually. I think I'm on your side. I, I think that like Hilo would actually have a better time beating Aja. Yeah. And maybe even Andon would have a better time. I Shay would not. I is um, very accomplished but a, the, her accomplishments comes from her political positioning it would be backstabbing that gets aja yeah right. yeah exactly yeah but she's still a, she's still a revered duelist don't get me wrong mm -hmm. but i don't think she's as accomplished of a duelist as aja right i think i'm with you there yeah yeah that was a fun one. All right. Now it's time to talk about crazy fucking drugs between the two universes. So the lament versus the shine overdose slash jade exposure, which is worse. I mean, one of them has a way of stopping it. Well, they, they both do, I, I suppose. But once also, once... Aaron, how dare you with this one? <laughs> this is fucking gnarly. This is a pitch black grim dark question. Yeah. Yeah. The lament ends. If you're mm -hmm. able to stop it from killing you, it ends. 
Shine Overdose doesn't. You can't reverse it. It doesn't go away. You can kind of keep it at bay with... with. Can you keep it at bay with Shine? Is there any way to keep it at bay? That is the only way that is like bandaged to some degree, but it's once you're overexposed, you mean jade overexposure, it seems like you never go back. Overdose. Yes, correct. I'm I'm correcting for Aaron's you know nomenclature here, but, but you yeah. can. There's also shine overdose, isn't there? There is a little bit of shine overdose in the way that it, like it makes you more receptive, and then you push past your boundary that you should, and then you're addicted to it, and you've got a problem. So like. Shine overdose is a thing. I don't want to say it's not. Jade overexposure, I think, is what what Aaron was. That's what she's intending. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. Jade overexposure can't be undone. Yep. So I think that's worse. It seems less lethal, but more permanent. Okay. And I I think I agree with you. I think jade overexposure is similar to like very serious drug addictions it is an addiction that you deal with constantly and this one seems overwhelming like it seems like it's un unfuckwittable you know yeah and when i say uh <laughs> i can't believe you said yeah to that i, I knew what you meant <laughs> i said unfuck- unfuck- i know but like, <laughs> yeah. do i don't i don't know the right <laughs> term either yeah um, no i yeah I know. it was a meme Glad you leaned in. <laughs> so when when I say it's less lethal, like almost everyone that we deal with, is it everybody that we meet that ex- is exposed to overexposure dies? Pretty much or mostly. Yes, mostly. It's just slower. Right. It's a creeping thing. But, but like you could also maybe live. I think that there are arguments inside of the text that you can make it out alive. I do think that, it, again, it compares to drug addiction in that way. But mm-hmm. I think that the depths of it are far worse than the lament of which is very, very bad. But it seems intense as it's going through your bloodstream and then like it can be cured, blood off and leaves versus you can never come back from jade over exposure like full like ridiculous jade overexposure you can never come back from yeah it's that said the lament is Mm -hmm. effective enough that atalantia put her faith in it like Mm -hmm. there there are very few ways to survive it right and you have to recognize it quickly although for the record the lament was not atalantia it was round Good so, point. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. But but I'm just but thinking point, back to like Rome was story. trying to find something that was survivable. Yeah. 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 But she does. She talks about it previously. She's a master of poisons. You know, it all seems believable. In this case, it was Rome. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm with you. I'm with you there. I don't know if we know for sure that it w- wasn't Rome. No, at he the knows. Behest of Atalantia, though. He knows that it's the cloak, and like I think that it might. So at the behest of Atalantia, you may be correct through atlas yeah. potentially so yeah there's there's some like diciness I'd, there. I'd be i'd be cautious to say that Adel- atalantia is not involved in it but I, I think roan's being sympathetic and letting him live with the dose that he gets if that makes sense like he is cautious about it to keep him alive because he believes in him which okay. it ultimately like there's 
there's some like fun wishy-washy things there that we should definitely talk about in a more serious episode in the future because i do think that there's a good question mm-hmm. there of roan's intent that we've tackled and then you get so. to the fact that roan's the one that wakes him up against medical advice because mm-hmm. he knows what he got he knows he can handle it or he totally wants to put more stress on him could be that could be you're not wrong all right that brings us to our second segment of tonight's christmas special we're bringing you a story from our dear friend josh tankersley aka je tankersley uh, from his short story collection tales and typos if you haven't heard of josh uh he is the modest mimic on instagram if you are into dungeons and dragons at all he has a hilarious page he's gone viral many a time um you've probably inadvertently seen his memes he's one of the most clever people that i think either of us know for sure and it's just all around a, a great great dude and a great hang all the time he is featured in the second season of Tales of Kana, which will be coming out to you shortly and or might be already out when you're listening to this. But I highly recommend you listen to Josh Get to Be a Genius and that you grab his book, Tales and Typos, because it is so good and clever and wholesome and fun if you're into fantasy and short stories. I own two copies of it. It's a pretty book. Do you want to give away one? Sure. We'll do a giveaway. We'll yeah. give away one of the copies. PJ will write something in it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it on Instagram. I don't know. You have two copies. We'll figure I'll that forge out. You Josh's can have two copies. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth more money that way. Uh, I, yeah, I really appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll give away one of the copies as a part of this. So check out our Instagram. We'll be sharing this and Josh will be sharing it too. He already sent me a text. He's like, I will share whatever on Instagram that you want me to. So yeah, okay. he's going to do that as a part of this. So get a copy. Yeah. You should. It's a great book. It's a great book. So the story that we're going to read today together, which is different than anything that we've ever done on the show. Again, Christmas special, warm and cozy fireside reading here is called The Bits in Between. And we're going to read it aloud for you. It's about four pages. So it's not very long. It shouldn't be very long. And it'll give you an idea. (laughs) PJ reads slow, but PJ is just doing the dialogue. I'm doing all the narrating. So at the very least, we should be good on that front. So I'm I'm very excited for us to talk about the bits in between and give it a quick read here. This is one of many short stories, though, from the short story collection. They're like, what, 20, I think, in Tales and Typos? Yep. 20, 20 Which, short stories. It's the words and whiskey and books and baddies theme. You know, it's it inadvertently is perfect. We didn't know Josh, of course, at that point, but it is so funny that Tales and Typos fits right in. So, all right. Starting it off here with Tales and Typos, we're going to be reading The Bits in Between. So, Several missed his bed. He longed for the crisp, familiar embrace of fresh cotton sheets, the weight of a hand-stitched quilt, the cool side of a downy pillow. He missed the rising in the early mornings when he would step out into the damp before dawn to listen as the world sang itself awake. The steam from his coffee cup would drift over the backside of his hand to float above the dewdrops on the grass, wafting and flitting in the low light before finding its way into the fog that hung low over the hills. It was those quiet moments that tugged at his heart, those few precious minutes just before the sun edged its way into view to wish him a good day. He hardly remembered the warmth of its greeting at all. In truth, there were a great many things several had taken for granted. 
the abundance of clean clothes hanging neatly in his closet, the privacy of his bathroom with a door, the convenience of a three-minute walk to the shop where there was food and plenty of it. He even found himself longing for things he might have considered inconveniences before he knew any better. Things like polishing the floors in his home, pulling weeds from his garden, finding time in schedule for a haircut every few months. They felt like distant dreams, foreign and quaint and perfect. Once again, several was lying awake somewhere miles below the surface, thinking of home. His top half was wrapped in a too small, scratchy blanket, and the oozy bedrock beneath him dug into his back like knuckles. No matter how he shifted and squirmed, there was no comfort to be found. These were the parts of adventuring that no one ever spoke about. The bits in between that were notably absent from every bard song, every legend, and every folktale. Several sighed and a soft sound that echoed against the cavern walls and took to counting the stalactites looming overhead. It looked like teeth, he thought. A thousand dripping fangs waiting to swallow him whole. Another bead of water tr tapped him on the forehead and trickled into his soaking hairline to join the others. He rolled over for the fifth time, found the dry stone he could, and planted his shock of bright orange hair curls against it. The others seemed to be sleeping soundly enough in the low green glow of the bright shrooms. He watched their shoulders rise and fall in slow, rhythmic patterns. Lucky them. Some nights, he lay there waiting for one of his companions to huff and roll toward him, unable to rest, unable to dream. They would talk, he imagined, about what they missed most from before, what they wanted to do when they reached the surface again about the foods they craved, about their families, about how awful their journey so far had been, and about how adventuring was not at all like the stories. Other times, he imagined one of them jolting awake and tossing their blankets to the side. I can't do this anymore, they would say. Do what? Several would ask, wiping his eyes as if he had been asleep all along. Is everything all right? No, no, it's not all right. I hate this. All of it. The others would stir then, fumbling with their weapons in the darkness and searching for the source of the commotion. This is miserable, one would continue. I just want to go home. Don't you? And then the others would grow still. They would sit there in the darkness together, letting the silence do its work. Each of them would find something. A pebble, a mushroom, a shadow and stare into it, unsure of what to say, unsure of what, if anything, needed to be said at all. And there would be some measure of comfort among them, all miserable, but miserable together at least. And then another would speak up. But if we don't do this, who will? Conversation would end after that. Slowly, one after another, each of several's companions would lie down and stare into the darkness until, hours later, sleep finally washed over them. It wouldn't be much, but something where within those eight words, there would be a change. That simple phrase would be enough, enough to dull the ache in their legs, enough to dampen the hunger, enough to remind them of why they were there, enough to say that when this was all over, it will have been worth it. But that never happened. At the end of each long day, they made camp with what little supplies they had left, held the same argument about whether or not to start a fire, decided against it, and eased down onto the unforgiving rocks in a circle. Within minutes, the others would be snoring softly, and several would be there, wide awake, staring at the salivating ceiling overhead, having pretended conversations in the dark. 
Tonight was no different from the rest. Tomorrow would be more of the same. Nearby, a bit of light glinted off the surface of a well-worn lute. It was glazed in the damp, and the glow of the fungi along its body reflected softly against several skin with the surface of a moonlit pond. Any day now, the lute's bridge would swell, and the strings would begin to cake with rust. Instruments like that weren't built for the damp. They weren't made to be dragged into the darkest reaches of the world. They had no business on any adventures. They weren't cut out for all of this. Several caught the vague outline of his reflection in the glimmer. He looked different, small. At home, insomnia was not an altogether vile thing. The nights were sleep evaded him. Several traveled down the stairs, careful not to let the floorboards groan too much, and dipped like shadow into his study. He selected his finest quills, arranged his papers and inks in their ideal locations around the desk by his piano, and began working. Sometimes he tweaked the harmonies of an existing composition, and other times he would draft something new. He wondered what he would have chosen tonight. Something melodious and soothing, he decided. A lullaby, perhaps. Maybe he would have chosen the harp instead, plucking ever so quietly as to not wake the ones sleeping overhead. It would take hours, of course. By the time it was all said and done, he would have composed deep into the night, sacrificing those early morning moments that he cherished so much. The candles around the room would be half-melted, his fingers stiff and blistered, his eyelids drooping like the moon beyond the window. But it would be finished, and he would be glad that the next day held a little excitement that he could spend it at home, surrounded by strings and brass and keys. But several wasn't home. Down here... Soaked in the dark and damp, didn't feel much like playing. God, it's so good. It's really good. I thought we were so splitting good. this 50 50, and then I said, like, oh no, I 10 said words. dialogue. <laughs> yeah, I said dialogue. I said, you take dialogue and the intermittent parts. We could, I guess, we could have split at that middle point, but yeah, that's all good. Man, do you want to redo it? Do you want to redo no, it from the middle I part? I would totally I, be down. No, sure? I think this is great. I, I, okay, I think you said it better than I would have, and oh, well. I don't necessarily think that, but appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so this story entirely exists within. You spend four or five days traveling through the <laughs> through the cavern. <laughs> this is this is such a and, and this whole collection is. I think we might have mentioned this at the beginning, but this is like based on D&D and like fantasy adventurer tradition. Right. So like this is in particular I love it because it is the bits in between. It's the moments that you skip um in in gameplay and in the way that you do the game. This is these are the the quiet moments that we miss when we don't interrogate like what our character means. Yeah. And for sure and how like, they react. 100% without like not necessarily feeling the same way because every character is different. Everybody has their own motivations and everything. But during long rests, during downtime in a D&D campaign, this story is on my mind. Mm. And like trying to flesh out that in between that that those bits of conversation that don't come up in the story don't come up, don't come up in the campaign should exist and makes the character deeper for them. But this was very well written and I feel so proud of Josh and mm. I I think he 
writes incredibly well. And I, I wish more people knew about this story and knew about this collection of stories. And I'm, I'm happy to spread it to more people. Of course. I, I think that Josh does write incredibly well. And I think that this is very indicative of the collection. This is the most... I think that this is one of the most melancholic ones of the stories that I've read, too, because it does have like a different sort of sense of humanity to it that I, I particularly appreciate, you know. Mm -hmm. He also I, I've read some of his other stuff, some of his unpublished stuff, and we've, we've talked on and off about it. But he reminds me a lot of Roald Dahl. I don't know if you get that from sort of the collection and the tone and like the voice, but he reminds me almost innately of like trailing the chocolate factory and the witches and all of those stories. Like he just gives that sort of like homey fantasy energy that feels grounded, but like real in a tangible way and sometimes absurd. And it's great. Mm -hmm. I like that description. I know at one point when I was a kid, I, I, I remember having, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book. Don't remember reading it. Like, I, I, I know that I did. But I do not recall the book itself. It's been entirely replaced by the couple movies. And I haven't seen the newest one yet, but... Mm -hmm. um, Wonka, of which is coming out soon. Yeah. Yep. It's out, Have I you think. watched... Have you watched any, and I, I want to get back to Tank's story here, of course, to, to talk a little bit more about it, but have you watched any of the Netflix Wes Anderson Roald Dahl adaptations? No. God, you have to. I watched one this weekend. There are four that are, I think there are four that are out, but Wes did Asteroid City or Asteroid Moon, I whatever saw, that movie is. I, I saw and the then, like, that was, that was an original it. story. That was an original story. I still haven't watched it. I would love to. We could talk about that in a different episode. That'd be a ton of fun. But he did a series of adaptations with Netflix shortly thereafter or shortly before that, of which were all Roald Dahl stories. And so he did four of them. Okay. And they are so good. Right. Um, he knocked the tone and the visuals and like that feeling out of the park so much that it's like, man, I I know what I think of as Roald Dahl story and some of that is like that that like old school nostalgia glee for the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and like Gene Wilder and like that direction that sense but Wes Anderson nailed the like timelessness of it in a way that almost feels Shel Silverstein-esque hmm. I, I it's so cool you gotta watch them okay. they're, they're they're not perfect but they're all great in a unique net unique way sounds good and this reminds you of that or it of Roald Dahl in general? It, it, Roald Dahl in general, but it like evokes the same kind of, I don't know, thoughts and ideals. And yeah, yeah. Josh's Josh's writing is um, singular to me in a way that I think a lot of other self pubs are not. It's it's just he's got a tone and that's the tone. Mm -hmm. So if you enjoy that kind of like happy go lucky with like childish glee thing, you gotta you gotta read it. Yeah, even when even when things aren't going that well. <laughs> yeah, like, this one is so melancholic compared to a lot of the rest of them. Some it is, of them, but get dark. you can still you can still tell that there's a shreds of joy, or at least optimism. There's an optimism mm -hmm. held by the main character here, by yeah several. Which um, my story we talked about no optimism. Name? I don't several several. 
thought, so when I read it the first time, I thought it was I thought it was Serval, and then I reread it and I went, no, it's Several. And I think that's a clever way of spelling it with a C as opposed to an S, which again lends to that doll and Silverstein-esque like impression from this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I really dig it. Talking about the story itself, though, we've talked about kind of like the meta text and like our whole thoughts there. But so uh, it's it's hard to separate this from Dungeons and Dragons. It's very clearly sure. if you're looking at the front cover, it's it's dice shapes, <laughs> geometric dice shapes <laughs> on the cover. It's like, trying it, to be that. It's yeah. very much intended to be evocative of role playing game characters coming to life in different situations but even without that this is this is finding story in the mundane in a very effective way and like this fleshing out an entire story in downtime <laughs> in mm-hmm. in insomnia and in sleep and you get the little bit of it's not a flashback but it's a wish for like it's what would you call that his his little sort of dream sequence of what it's, he it's would a be recollection doing. it's it it's like a I, I like i like wish but i would say like it's it's reflective he's he's longing for that existence before right mm-hmm. and so he is like actively participating it reminds me again we're talking about like homey things that like we feel this story immediately reminds me again all those are all doll things all those other things i said before totally correct i think the song is in five goes west did you ever see that movie of growing course. up i think we watched little... it in school okay. like a couple times <laughs> i think so too i think i think that we're in the same boat here but when when whichever i can't remember which character is like approaches the window and is singing the song and like they stare up into the sky and the stars light somewhere there, out there that some uh, is it somewhere out there yeah. is that the song am i fucking okay it's somewhere out there this song remind that that is somewhere out there to me it's the same thing it's just like a different lens on the same idea mm-hmm. so good it is good i love it um, i love it a lot yeah i i we call him tank because the other yeah, the, there's another josh in the party that we were in with <laughs> right and i know that's what a lot of people call him but josh is an amazing human he is one of the most mm-hmm. optimistic people that i know agreed um yeah. and just cheery and and happy the most like whole of spirit exactly I, I, it's, it's, it's like so, so encompassing it's but so it comes yeah, through in, joy in the writing as joy well incarnate like, in some ways yeah. This writing is so indicative of the way that Josh lives his life or seems presents his outlook on life at the very least. There are fewer bees in this story than there are in his <laughs> real life. <laughs> yeah. I I really like I, I think that it goes without saying we've we've talked actually about the short story collection and i think that i mentioned actually both of these short story collections the entire time that i was traveling were in my bag and i read i read like them a piece at different times josh's got like a little weird crease in it from like being folded up in my bag on accident at one oh, point no. when i was traveling in wisconsin 
Dylan's made it out unscathed. But as such, you know, I, I enjoyed little doses of familiarity with, with friends and with like excellent writers that I, I am just I, I feel very fortunate to to get to like share this experience in the story in a small format that is so good. Again, buy this fucking book. No free I, ads. This is a free ad. This is entirely a free ad. This is totally Christmas a free special. Ad. You need to get this book. You should it's get so this good. book. It's really, really good. Several should have an entire novel. I would love <laughs> I would love just downtime from several. Like and just go to the next adventure and like what's his next thought in the downtime, right? Like let's un- let's unpack that a little bit. Like you wish you could be home, you wish you could be playing the instruments. Okay. But could you, you know, like is there a time where he finally makes it back to a piano and plays, right? There's a weird in my brain, there's a weird connection to several and Steve in our flames death. Oh, okay, different. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. For whatever reason. Okay. Uh, very Steed. different. Steed. 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 Not Steve. Sorry. Steed. Yeah. Jesus. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. But that sort of longing for normality a little bit, but still like mm-hmm. driven by adventure. And th- that that longing for normality only comes during this time when adventure isn't bearing down on you and you're you're just kind of resting. I don't know. I can see it's I, it's one of those. I don't know why that I, I don't know why that connection is happening in my brain. I haven't seen that show. No, in a I, long I think time, that it but... makes sense because it's more of like a a wholesomey show, right? Like our our flag means death is something that feels very wholesome, very like it's a, it's like grabbing at the core of your chest and being like, why do you feel these things? And I think it's one of the things by and large that like fantasy is missing from time to time. I know that you don't immerse yourself in larger fantasy culture by any stretch. So I would never put this on you. But one of the books that's become very popular recently is this book called Legends and Lattes. And that book focuses on a an orc of whom is done adventuring and retires to like make a bookshop in a big city. So like okay. it is this sort of like wholesome vibe of like part like tearing down like an old building like an hgtv show and then also like rebuilding it from the ground up but it's it's in a fantasy setting so like there's some magic involved and there's some like other things so people kind of crave this like this is a unique thing and i think if you like legends and lattes you would love tales and typos tales and typos also predated legends and lattes um so just to say if we're talking alliterations again you know hashtag first hashtag first Hashtag first for Josh Tankersley. Um, again, love the book. Love the stories. Read one of the shortest ones just so that we can get it entirely on air here. Well, but uh, we um, also so we, many good we ones. asked Josh, which we did. Josh gave His us favorites. a couple a couple options for what he thought might might make sense. And I only gave him 10 minutes to decide. <laughs> I was like, by the way, you have to decide now because we're going to record just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So. So we did go with probably the shortest story in the book. There is uh, that, one that... that's shorter. There's one that's a two pager. But okay. yeah, okay, okay, yeah. It's it's the second shortest, but it's so good. It's 
it evokes so much in such a short time frame, which is why it is a lovely little read. Totally re uh, contextualizes the way that I approach rest time in D anD D. That's so Absolutely. cool. Totally, completely. I'm glad. I'm glad that that did that because at the same time, like, okay, we've talked about this from a literature perspective, but from an RPG perspective. That's one of those like downtime or rest time or one of those things that just like aren't thought about that deeply. But that's like the real life of your character is like sleep and downtime. Like PJ, you work, you do this podcast, but that's 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 40% of your time plus the sleep. So like sleep is like another. OK, we'll say that's. 50% of your time. But that means there's another 50% that's like not registered, right? Mm. This is acknowledging and like nodding to the other 50% of that time. Right. Exactly. Which is cool. So. It is. Yeah, you're right. Every time I think of this, <laughs> it just gets worse <laughs> in a good way. Again, the holiday special. Ha ha. Ha ha. Ha ha. All right. I'm so glad we got to talk about Tales and Typos. We've Me been too. talking about it for a long time. We are going to have Tank on the show. I talked to Tank about it. We're going to have Mon for a short pour to discuss more thoroughly like his writing process and thoughts and things like that soon. So we'll have a little fun bonus episode with Tank. That'll be um, a lot of fun. Future. So get the collection so that we can talk about it. I mostly just miss talking to Tank. It's been a long time. I love Tank. It's been quite a time. We have our group chat on Instagram. I just want Petunia back, you know? I just want, I just, I in just addition want... to, like, wanting Tank around. But I want Petunia. <laughs> okay, no spoilers. <laughs> All right, ready for the next one? Let's do it. With that, we're going to go to our final story of the evening as we round out our campfire journey through these different ideas and this sort of mishmash of a Christmas special. Again, we're just going to... We're just kind of fucking doing it. Yeah. Are you proud? I am proud. Yeah. We we did a good job. We have so not stayed on target as far as our time goes. No, that's uh, Especially because... considering the 50 minutes that we talked about your short story. I didn't fucking mean to, but also we went but too long on the Lightbringer stuff. We did so. that too. If you would like to listen yeah. to us talk about Crossland's story... The first draft of the story that he's still in the process of editing and writing, but right. I'm not actively editing it. Like at a certain point, you you think of like a thing is dead. You talk about edits. I did. I did. I did. I did. But there are multiple drafts. I'm not. I'm done with the story, but that is not the completed version of the story. Okay. Regardless, join us at patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. And you can listen to the extended cut of this show where we talk about Crossland's story as well. Both of these stories are spin. better. <laughs> True. I mean, I, they're that's finished. not... They're finished and they're published and Crossland's is good. I really enjoy it. I'm excited to read it's the third grammatical errors. edition of his story, but um, I... Also, like giving Crossland shit, and I for the record, I feel like I'm being mean at this point, and I'm not trying to be. No, no, you're not being mean. You're being correct. (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally agree. I hope I hope you all enjoy. For those of you who partake in that, you can definitely check it out. In addition, the next story we're going to be talking about 
There's a PDF shared on our Patreon, so if you're a patron, you can go check it out. Otherwise, you can listen to it. We'll talk about that in a moment, but you'll be able to listen to it for free as well. So Mm -hmm. there are a couple of different options. Listening is free. Reading costs some bucks. And if you sign up specifically to read Dylan's book, Dylan's little short story here, I will give Dylan the money. There's no question. (laughs) Like, if you sign up to listen to my short and to, like, do everything else, I will give Dylan the money if you want to read the short story. So he knows that. He's listening. You hear me. You heard me, Dylan. Hi, Dylan. Okay, so with that, let's move into Echoes of the Fringe, Volume 1 by Dylan D. Irwin. We're going to be focusing on a story called Yuletide, which is one of the stories that is within Echoes of the Fringe, but is also the only story from Echoes that is available that they've narrated via Spotify. So you can go listen to the Nightgate Journal on any podcast channel that you might partake in or subscribe, you can search it, the Nightgate Journal. You'll find it. Dylan Dierwin is the publisher. There are, generally speaking, eight episodes, nine episodes on that channel. Seven of them relate to the primary story of the Nightgate Journal, which is an isolated horror fiction story that I highly recommend. It's a great little adventure into the mind of a of a wonderful horror writer that we're going to talk a little bit more about here as we proceed. But the Yuletide is also available. And that is sort of a bonus episode presented as the Night Gate Journal presents Yuletide. And highly recommend you check it out. You can do that beforehand. Otherwise, again, if you're a patron, you can check it out as a PDF and give it a read. Or you can get the book, I believe, from Amazon Echoes from the Fringe. If you want to give it a look-see. EJ, he's already mailing you a copy. Oh, they sent it. I was going to go so buy one. one. Like now, while we record. <laughs> no, no, it's coming. Oh. Dylan refused. But core point being, Dylan is a wonderful writer. He trends in the same direction that I do. I'm more in like the Dylan channel of thought and writing. We both love King. We both love Shakespeare. We both love sort of the poetic ideology of things, and so we we write in similar fashions, and we agree in different different ways about fiction so i highly recommend you go listen to it if not go read it either way give it a listen give it a read it's so good we're going to talk about it now so the story is kind of broken up into three different parts it's broken up and presented as a sort of it, it, it is a folk tale as it appears in the text and it is lovely in a lot of ways i i want to interrogate the story from i i want to start with your perspective overall in the story how did you feel about reading yuletide i mean it it felt like such a great it's not a campfire story but it's it, it almost feels like that it is a hearth story it's yeah, like come yeah, warm yeah. yourself around like near especially because of the mother in the beginning mm-hmm. you like want to sit near the fire stove right, right. And, and then the way that it ends especially you're kind of whoo spooked by the stove there's simultaneously there's almost a like not quite brothers grim but like old folklore sort of feel to it and it very intentionally so and setting wise that makes sense but 
Yeah, I get it between felt, Brothers Grimm and Pan's Labyrinth. Like that's I love the Pan's yeah. Labyrinth call out there. Like that yeah. absolutely makes sense to me. It, it's like creepy cozy. Yeah. Folky, you know. Folky. In like yeah. a real folk way. Right. Creepy cozy in the best possible way. Yeah. Yeah. Did you this this is related, I swear. Have you seen I think we talked about this or maybe I talked to my dad about it, but the Pinocchio Netflix movie. I, I have it yet. My God, not. you got it. You got it. It's so good. Guillermo del Toro in a very similar vein, though. I get the same. And maybe it's just throughout this entire story that it has those because it is so rooted in that sort of folk tradition that it feels evocative of that vibe. There are so many things that I love about the story. I particularly love the vocabulary and the cadence of it all. There are moments in which you feel you're just doing that progressive march that like a good sonnet does to you when you're reading the ba 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 and like you're just caught in that sort of rhythm and you just can't put it down because it's in that rhythm. Yeah. Uh few wise to to add because i don't have sonnet knowledge to to branch off that's fine it feels and maybe this is naive of me to to make connections that i'm not super confident in but it feels very scandinavian in nature as well interesting i'm I'm curious on like um, pagan and scandinavian for sure yeah like north okay sort of deep woods like the the, the witch, whim of nature um, and yeah. the gods. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. And that's what you said. It wasn't grimy, but I think that this is actually closer to a grim fairy tale for that reason. Right. Because that mm-hmm. is sort of the way that grim fairy tales are truly like in the old German tradition are truly told is more grim with two m's but it's also grim with one m (laughs) in the fashion of that it has there is like an old school faustian deal that happens here that the child's like not able to acknowledge fully which is in and of itself like it kind of makes you like shake for a moment because like she just wants to go and in order to go she's got to she sacrifices more than just like her body she sacrifices life her memory and that's man there's there's something in the core there that i want to pick at but that's talking about the ending but yeah there's there's so much here so it's broken up into three parts the the first part of the story is really talking a lot interrogating marguerite from the mother's perspective and her grief around losing her father and so a lot of the story is surrounding that idea and then also the mother's acknowledgement that Marguerite is a lot like her dad is going to go repeat those same mistakes. What were your sort of, did you have any other like big takeaways or big thoughts around that first section or what what were kind of your feelings as walking through the mother's perspective? I mean, first and foremost, the fact that the mother doesn't get a name felt unique, but at the same time felt evocative of something nebulous in my brain and recent and i can't i can't put it to words to what it reminds me of but like there is something that it reminds me of that like only one character a couple characters but like the auxiliary characters that are still important to the story don't get proper names attributed to them there is kind of that in the creator like that could be it 
that might be what I'm thinking of. Like uh, that's that movie has kind of a similar amorphous feel. So I, I get that. Yeah, I, I understand where you're going for at the very least. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, we get a very rich background on Marguerite very quickly, very early and uh, very intensely, especially specifically in relate like in relation to her father, which makes the ending and her like not realizing that she's lost her father that much more heartbreaking (laughs) like every every little detail of this story feels so intentional and pays off in even in a way that you don't expect to pay off you don't expect to pay off to the loss of their father right away but wait i i just want to clarify her dad is dead yeah. Right. Like I'm not missing something. Okay. Just making no, sure. But, but maybe you maybe sit and contemplate for a moment. Like like later wait, in the story, because the, she she sacrificed the the idea. Yeah, the she doesn't even yeah. remember that yeah. she's lost her father, and asks about him. Mm-hmm. Where's father? Yeah. And so. that's that is sad, and I I think that that does play well into the emotions of the whole piece, and I I really like that from a read of the end. There is also something to the nature of the end of the story, which is with the father obviously missing and being subtracted, there's the joy of the branches as they're burning. And there's Sylvanas, of whom we believe has maybe killed her dad because he didn't have anything else to trade. And so there's some question around whether or not like her, what her father gave or did not give to not make it out alive or like why he died in the woods Hmm. because she's obviously able to escape by sacrificing a a like memory did he not want to sacrifice the memory of his daughter and therefore like sylvanas gets to capture the memory of him through the daughter like there's there's a good there's a large question around the dad and then how that pulls through the rest of the story bringing that into focus really changes the the light in which you see sylvanas as well Mm -hmm. because at face value it's a potentially nefarious spirit that is convinced to act beneficially to or at least mostly beneficially to marguerite and her mother but then you you get that sort of sense that there's a connection to the father here too and that that really throws everything for a loop. Yeah, that's definitely true. So to speak from this from a perspective that Dylan talks about a little bit in the very intro of the the book, um, he talks to just to read it here for those of whom have listened. Here's what Dylan wrote about Yuletide, just so that we're all on the same page about sort of the the prospect. So what he did here is very similar to. Stephen King and Don Macabre and also Neil Gaiman in a number of his short story collections, just to give you an idea about what the short story was about. So Yuletide, much like Don Macabre, is one of the newest stories in this collection, but has its roots much further back in the timeline. It took me a year to write this one. After writing Claire de Lune in March of 2016, Life Got Crazy. I talk about it in The Voice in the Attic prologue. Uh, in December 2017, I tried to write what I was referring to as my Christmas fairy tale. By tried to write, I mean I typed Christmas candle in the window, green man does the girl die gathering wood, question mark, 
in my iPhone notes. The story languished in my phone for a year because I loved the ideas in my head and poorly articulated ones typed out on my phone. I had researched Yule and the early Catholic tradition of placing a candle in the window. Afterward, the Christmas fairy tale had a name that I liked but honestly didn't love, the candle in the window. From there, I researched pagan winter solstice traditions and ancient forest deities. It was a labor of love and background research in which is honestly my favorite part about writing. The writing is so much more fun when all you have are nuts and bolts. Then it becomes a puzzle. The puzzle pieces finally came together in December 2018. I was on a writing high, having just finished The Voice in the Attic, and finally sat down and wrote what began as my Christmas fairy tale, evolved into the candle in the window, and finally settled into Yule Tide. So I want to talk about the Catholicism of this all as two ex-Catholics for just a moment. <laughs> Do you not, what are your reads on who is God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? Within this story? Yep. Man, that didn't cross my mind. I can't, I can't imagine it doing it until you get the comparison and you think about Yule and then, oh my God, I've got a clear answer for myself. All right. Can you, can you prime me with some? <laughs> I mean, and, and you can take this whichever direction yeah, you like. Yeah, yeah. I think... God is mom. Mother is God for all intents and purposes inside of the story. I think that she is actually almost able to acknowledge it in pre it's in post when she's kind of like trying to figure out what happened to her that I like maybe think that she might not be. But I, I think that she's still coming to a peace with it. So there's a good argument there that she could maybe be the Holy Spirit instead. But I think she's God in my head. That's the way that I interpret it. Jesus in the story then naturally has to be Marguerite because she's the one who is sacrificing something so as to absolve something that a sin that came before so that she can escape. Her father refused to sacrifice himself. And so she's the one who is bearing the weight of that guilt, that tragedy of humanity that came before. Okay. Then we get into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to be has to be Sylvanus because Sylvanus is the one of whom is actually washing away that sin because he has to take something else away from from jesus in this case or marguerite there's your catholic guilt explanation yeah. of where the story comes from i could see that i think so i i don't know if that's what dylan intended but that's like my like easy quick rinse wash uh catholic could, guilt car wash read i could also this. see like you kind of mentioned the mother being the holy spirit and sylvanus mm -hmm. being god you can Capital flip those, G. but I think Margaret is Marguerite is for all intents and purposes yeah. or Jesus. I can, either way. Yeah, I don't think there's any other way to if you want to try to is. force the three to. There is another way. There is another way. OK. And it okay. is through the father having already died to allow so Marguerite's humanity. Yep. OK. Hmm. I don't like that as much. I don't like it as much either, but it is a way. It, it is a it is a view. I could see it. I think. I, I'm, yeah. Dylan, I know you're listening. I'm sure. I'm sure. So you curious. Will I, I would love a private message on what you're thinking here, if it is yeah. at all connected. If any if, of this, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, again, like an extra textual read on the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I, I do really appreciate the way that the story approaches folklore. And as such, because it is a 
maybe not an allegory, but it's like a myth. It it feels of a vein of, you know, like the little mermaid it feels in, in tone with, or like many of the grim stories, there is this question of this sort of dream state of reality that I don't think a lot of a lot of modern stories try to interrogate, which is what I really appreciate about a lot of echoes, but in particular Yuletide, especially as a Christmas tale, which is yeah. just kind of ex, an extra layer of fun because it is kind of supposed to be happy holiday. The the logs burning in the end. I don't know your experience with Ghibli at all, PJ, but it reminds me of Calcifer in Hell's Moving Castle immediately. Not a lot of Ghibli experience. Have you watched any Ghibli? I, I don't think you have needed to. Like Ponyo, like Princess Mononoke, no. Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service. I was a similar way. I'm not gonna nope. I'm not gonna lie. One of my ex-girlfriends made me watch Howls for the first time in 2016, and I loved it. I totally get it. And then I've just been gradually, because it's like this dose of happiness, exposing myself to it over time, like just getting like one or two every year and just being blown away by like a form of art that mm-hmm. I love, but similar to the way that I measure Stephen King novels, where it's like I have some that I've like kept on the shelf. I'm going to intentionally read them. And I feel like I need another dose of that, like, hit. So. Fair enough. Ghibli's the same way. And Echoes, to me, was the same way. Like, this is... It hits in the way that, like... So, Echoes, to me, is Poe by way of, like, Mike Flanagan. That makes sense. Like, I I like that Mm -hmm. sort of internalization of it. So. That tracks. Yeah. Got a lot of those modern tinges on the fringe. Tinges on the fringe. There Any other thoughts about Yuletide? Um, I mean, I, I'm mostly just excited to read more of Dylan's stuff. Dylan's pretty good. Pretty damn good. Dylan's pretty great. It's a short story, and it's so... Man, it's, it's a tasty one. Yeah, it's... I, I, can't, I can't help but feel... It doesn't feel like I should feel cozy by this story, but I do. I know I you're mentioned kind, that earlier. You're kind of like wrapped up in a cold blanket that is guising you for warmth. Like mm-hmm. it's it's deceptive. You know, like the previous story, fully from Tank, we're able to be like, this is warm, this is cozy, makes you feel like tucked in tight. Yeah. This fucking pants labyrinth as a call out is so good. It is very I can't shake labyrinth. that from my it brain. Is, <laughs> it is so uncomfortably dreamy that like you can't escape it and sort of the way that like she experiences the world feels very similar i mean between the two protagonists so mm-hmm. i yeah i don't know i i dig yuletide quite a bit i hope you all enjoyed the exposure to uh, to this story because it's a it's a good one pj does that bring us to the end of our I think christmas special wow pj wow. we haven't had a song on our christmas special yet that is like a rule i don't think it is it is. I, the Ewoks sing a song. <laughs> Boba Fett takes part with the Ewoks, which makes no right. goddamn what sense. Are you, what are you singing for us, Crossland? I'm not singing fucking anything. I was curious if Andrew can come up with something to put here. Cross, yeah, Andrew. Andrew, <laughs> Andrew save us. <laughs> Andrew would. Andrew would. I do not it. have a good singing If you give voice. him the timestamps. 
I have a fine singing voice, but I'm not. I, I have yeah, an actively fine, bad fine singing voice. That's not fully true. You have a range. Most people have a range, and most people try to sing outside of their range, and that's half the problem. When was the last time I tried to sing anything that you PJ heard? at your bachelor party, you tried to sing. Oh, fuck. I forgot about that. Dude, you were so drunk. Yeah, we, we've <laughs> talked about that before. Um, needless to say, thank you so much for hanging out for the entirety of this Christmas special. Um, we decided to do something weird because it's Christmas, and Christmas is the time of weird specials. Last year, you got the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. You've gotten Star Wars holiday specials. You've gotten the Muppets. Now you've got Words and Whiskeys among your variety it's shows. The most important. The most of important. All of them. Correct. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, At we the hope very you least, enjoyed... better than the Star Wars one. I think so. I think it's <laughs> tough to be worse. <laughs> but I genuinely, I hope that you had a fun time with this sort of concept and this type of episode. Um, we will be back with guest episode next week. Um, it might be a little bit late. It might be the week following. We may, I don't know. The holiday season is tough. We did initially plan on this being sort of stretched out into the middle or like the early part of December so that we, we could record it all in time. But because of the holidays, that makes it like a tough gambit. So we're giving you the holiday special. We promise there will be more wrap-up episodes in the near future with Lightbringer. We might put out a short pour or something else special next week, but we hope you enjoyed this little taste of a little bit of Lightbringer discussion uh, and some of our uh, close friends' wonderful short stories. They're amazing. Support them. Both wonderful. Uh, we'll, we'll put... Uh, links are for sure down for sure to where you can buy their short story collections and you should because they're worth supporting totally yeah and they're cheap they're they're inexpensive by comparison so i mean and beyond that for pj's giveaway if you reshare the post that we're putting out here we'll enter you for the giveaway so whatever instagram post comes out of this make sure that you share and post we will give it away on New Year's Day. So whoever whoever is selected out of the people who reshare the Instagram post that we do, you'll be mailed a copy of Josh Tankersley's wonderful Tales and Typos. Yes. Yeah. You'll, so you'll get my will, address as, <laughs> as the return address. We'll fucking figure that out. You don't need to out yourself. <laughs> It's a dangerous game I found out this last year. So <laughs> it's been a year since that was a problem for me now, but I still, I mean, it's you touchy. know, measured measured response. Yeah. But needless to say, thank you all so much for hanging out for us with us for this whole Christmas special. You know where to find us. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Discord, whatever, patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. With this going into next year, we will be having a major revamp of the Patreon. Coming out again, patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. We're simplifying it all down to one tier for the most part outside of whatever you want to give. So if you're a supporter of the show, we love you dearly. And if you are not yet, that's okay. We still love you and dearly. we hope that you had a good time. We love you dearly. This whole thing was for you guys. We were not going to put out an episode this week. And then I was like, fuck that. We're going to do a Christmas special. <laughs> and we came up with this idea. So we, we did the fucking thing yeah. all in the matter of hours. So... Cheers, folks. Cheers. Cheers.